major Dick Winners and Easy Company trained for this moment. And he captures it in these words in the book Beyond Band of Brothers. In the prologue, Major Winners says, The takeoff occurred on schedule, nice and smooth. Usually on these flights, everybody went to sleep. But tonight, I forced myself to stay awake so I'd be able to think and react quickly. But those airsick pills seemed to slow down my emotions. Private Hogan tried to get a song going after a while. A few of us joined in, but our singing was soon lost in the roar of the motors. I fell to saying a last prayer. It was a long, hard, sincere prayer that never really ended. For I continued to think and pray the rest of my ride. When we hit the English Channel, it was really a beautiful sight, but I just couldn't appreciate its full beauty at the time. 20 minutes out, came back from the pilot. Our crew chief took off the door. As jump master for my plane, I stood up, hooked up my static line, went to the door and had a look. I could see the planes in front and behind us in a V formation, nine abreast. They seemed to fill the air. Their power filled the sky. And then I looked at the English Channel and I could see the vast magnitude of ships of all sizes streaming in the same direction that we were going, the Normandy Peninsula. The ships were filled with men counting on us to pave the way for them. My mind filled with the realization we were a vital part of the biggest invasion in history, that I was leading men in an actual combat for the first time in my life. I prayed that I was up to the challenge. We passed these two islands offshore, all water, nice formation, no fire yet. And then we were over land, standing in the door, I could see anti-aircraft fire. As the Germans illuminated the night with searchlights and anti-aircraft fire, the pilots naturally began taking evasive action. We came in too fast and too low. I didn't realize it at the time, but the plane carrying Lieutenant Meehan was hit and plunged toward the earth, killing Easy Company's entire headquarters section, save myself. Okay, boys, stand up, hook up. Best to be ready to jump at any time now. If we do get hit, we won't be taking it sitting down. It was 0100 when the red light went on, 10 minutes out, and all was quiet. I saw some anti-aircraft fire, blue, green, red tracers coming up to meet us. My emotions were now accelerating at a rapid rate. Gee, the firing seemed to come slowly. They were pretty wild with it. Look out, they're after us now. Due to the speed of the aircraft, it was no good shooting straight at us, so the Germans start out right for you, but the anti-aircraft fire seems to make a curve and falls to the rear. Now they're leading us, coming so close you can hear them crack as they go by before they hit our tail. Straight ahead, I can see the lights set up on the jump field. Jesus Christ, there's the green light. We're holding 150 miles per hour and still eight minutes out. Let's go. There goes my leg bag and every bit of equipment I have. Watch it, Christ, they're trying to pick me up with those machine guns, slip, slip, try and keep close to that leg bag. There it lands beside the hedge. Damn, that machine gun, there's a road, trees. I hope I don't hit them, thump. Well, that wasn't too bad. Now let's get out of this chute. And so there I was laying on French soil, working free from my chute. Machine gun bullets whistling over my head every few minutes. More machine gun tracers going after planes and chutes still coming in. All of us had lost our leg bags, containing most of our weapons in the initial blast when we exited the plane. Why we were experimenting with leg bags on this jump 
when we had never rehearsed with them in training was beyond me. I later discovered that in our small contingent from Easy Company, we all lost our leg bags and ended up using whatever weapons we could scrounge from dead troopers. Unfortunately, we had no idea if these guns were properly zeroed, but there was little time to worry about anything except survival. On the outskirts of town, I saw a large fire, which turned out to be a down plane. In the distance, a church bell tolled out a warning to the countryside that the airborne infantry was landing. The sound of the bell sent a tingling sensation down my back. When I landed, the only weapon I had was a trench knife that I had placed in my boot. I stuck the knife in the ground before I went to work on my chute. This was a hell of a way to begin a war. Major Winters opens his memoir, Beyond Band of Brothers, with this prologue, and he concludes his introduction with these simple words. These are true stories that happened in World War II to real people, men I led, and soldiers I fought beside. Even now, as I stay in touch with many who are still living these 60 years later. Brothers, if you're like me, at one point you immersed yourself in the HBO miniseries, Band of Brothers, which I think now is actually available on Netflix. If you haven't seen it, I commend it to your apprenticeship. When I think of Dick Winters and Lieutenant Meehan and the brave ordinary men anointed for a supernatural mission, real war, high stakes with a theater beyond what could be understood, and each of them having a very human and particular role, coming against evil and bringing, securing freedom, restoration, dignity, and peace for many. I think of Jeremy. I think of Brian. I think of the men of wild courage, born out of Idaho, spreading around the nation like a wildfire. One of many, and yet utterly unique, like Easy Company, this band of brothers. They are recovering what's been lost. They are like-hearted allies, risking it all, leg bags blown off, maybe a knife in the boot, working with what they have, living out the truth that perhaps a man and a knife could save the world. These men are the kind of men that I believe, like major winners, will be telling stories and remembering the hilarity, the agony, the supernatural escapades in which they experience together some 60 years from now. With that in mind, welcome back to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. I am your guide, fellow apprentice, Morgan Snyder, and I am really joyful to feature a conversation today with Jeremy Morris, of Wild Courage. Some of you probably recognize the name Wild Courage featured in some of our stories from the Fires series. They are recovering masculine initiation in this hour, courageously offering retreats and resources and fires and coaching on fires. 
here and there, in every way they can, ongoing access to God and his kingdom to men. This conversation is one of my access points. Jeremy and I both share some honest recent stories, ask questions, and explore together the hope of engaging in our unique and universal stories of masculine initiation. It's my joy to invite you into this space. Let's dive in. I am in Colorado Springs, Colorado, today sitting down with Morgan Snyder, who is a friend um, to Wild Courage and has been so supportive in us, um, in, in our mission and what we're doing. So thank you so much, Morgan, for sitting down with me today and uh, telling your story to us. Uh, Jeremy, it's a complete joy bomb to be face-to-face with you. In my life, I can say, has been deeply impacted by core men at this expression of the recovery of the gospel in our generation through our courage. So it's such a joy bomb. And I'm just honored that you let me into your world and uh, excited to see where God takes us. Yeah, most of the guys that are our local fire will know you. So this is very fun for us because we read your book together. Okay. So generous and us all your content. As you know, we'd sit around the fire on Monday nights once a month and go through your rich content of becoming a king. So outside of being an author and walking side by side with John Eldridge for tw- how long? 20 years? 23 years. 23 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Um, you're a husband and a father. And I think most people know who you are and what you do. I would like to know how you got here. Like, yeah. What is what is what is in wild courage form of this podcast? What's your story? Yeah. And like before we jumped on here, um, I know you're from Pittsburgh. That's yes. About all I know okay. as far as what you do now. Yes. Um, and I'd love to fig- find out how you got to being the man that you are today. Yeah. What trials and tribulations you've been through, and where God showed up in those moments, and how, yeah, how did you get here? How did you become this man that? so many of us look up to and have so much life-giving advice for us. Yeah, first off, thank you. Um, I, I would say I'm a man who is becoming. I have a worldview, as one of my mentors introduced to me, that he was able to carve into his headstone because he knew he was crossing over because of lung cancer, 11-year battle. He carved uh, John Milton Moorhead, end of construction. Mm. Thank you for your patience. And Jeremy, there's just so much in that, right? Of a worldview that there's more to life than this life. That is a very big uh, core belief I hold that I didn't really hold in the depth of my belief for all my life. But I believe that all this life is, is preparation, training, readying for this place to rule and reign in God's kingdom, um, that everything in this world hints to it. It's a scent, it's a breath, it's a peace, and yet there's more to come. So let me start with a story that I've never told in my life because it's a recent one. Um, and here's where I'll go. Yeah, this is super, super recent. Um, my son's 18. 
And he's a senior in high school, and he has led um, really faithfully and lovingly his football team this year as captain. Six-year career, um, eight-year career in lacrosse, six-year career in football, and this this is the end of this chapter of his life. He's walked with God and since he's not supposed to play in college and semifinals, and um, it's been a beautiful context for the initiation of a lot of young men, there aren't many contexts left that formally initiate the boy in demand. And this is one of them. The, their head coach is an is a ally and a man I have the privilege of investing in. And there's a lot of God's kingdom that pops through the team, although it's a secular school. But the, um, And the short of it is uh, they lost to Delta um, in a, in just a profound, beautiful and, and painful um, loss. The thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, as Roosevelt says. So uh, this is November ending the first semester of his senior year, right? And so we're driving from Delta, Colorado, which is west um, back east. I've got five hours and I'm such a mess. I just as a dad, my heart is so invested. I can't drive. My buddies are driving. I'm in the back of the car, just staring out the windows and breathing, praying, saying, God, I need your interpretation. And, um, and after a while, what I sense from God, him saying, oh, this, that was Joshua's graduation ceremony from high school. And, and it just really caught me off guard because, first of all, it's not accurate. He's right. graduating a semester from now, right? But then I started putting some pieces together that one is he's in a co-enrollment. So he's in college classes in high school, and it's two years. So he'll graduate two years of college credit. And he had, in passing, said to me a month ago, if he wasn't doing an EMT focus for his last semester, he would graduate because he has enough credits. There's nothing else he's interested in, but but college through high school is paying for him to become an EMT in high school. And so he's super stoked. He loves serving people, helping people. He's adventurous. So he's doing that. But what's so beautiful is he's been on a vision quest, a, a, a series of rites of passage to give structure to his passing from boy to man, from roughly the age of 12 to roughly an age that had yet to be determined because God didn't show me where the finish line was for this season of his initiation. I just knew it was roughly around 16 to 22. Um, and there's a lot of story behind that, but we've been, we've been pretty intentional about creating a context for him to um, for his initiation into manhood to be the major theme of his story. So something like football is a big deal. Girls, big deal. Sure. But their smaller story in context of a larger story. So total orientation going, okay, he's wrapping up his vision quest. And now we have a few kind of, we have a ceremony and some beautiful things this spring, but I didn't know that was God's timing for my son. And it's, there's just a relinquishing of control in that of ultimately God is initiating my son. And it's my invitation to participate, which is so different than driving an agenda. So I share that as prologue to say, how did I get here? Who am I? Last week, sorry, it's just it's just very moving. Um, last week I was out uh, scouting for hunting, and I was on a trail, or not on a trail, I was off trail, and and God just said to me, "Congratulations, 
And I just said, like, on what? You know, it's a random time of year. And he said, um, on your graduation. And and I just had this sense. And again, when I say hear from God, like it wasn't like super clear, right? It wasn't crystal clear. It was just this sense, staying with the Father, leaning in, listening in. He said, you get to graduate too. And what I realized was um, I was a boy that was uninitiated, unfathered, extremely gifted, and didn't have a safe place to bring my questions, my fear, my shame. And so over those young years of later boyhood into what should have been manhood, I faked it. And I gravitated towards what worked. And for me, it was leadership and women. And much of my story over the last 25 years has been becoming aware that there's a 46-year-old part of Morgan, but there's also a two-year-old part of Morgan and an eight-year-old boy and a, th a three-year-old boy that was looking for dad's face to show me who I was. A nine-month-old infant that was undernourished. Not, now, my mom gave me plenty of food, but I wasn't breastfed and I didn't have the emotional comfort of a mom that was well in her own body. Right? And then I have the 13-year-old that was introduced to porn as the false version of something that made me feel amazing. Right, And it goes on and on of all these, a 15-year-old in me that never was taught how to use a chainsaw. And over the last 25 years, one piece at a time, God has met the boy and has led parts of me on what I would name as a path and process of initiation to be organized, my soul as a man, to be organized around God and sustained by him. So yeah, I gave my life to Christ um, when I was in university and that was a radical conversion, but it didn't save the whole man. It, it, it was the beginning of what I now see as a long process. And it was only this past fall, two extraordinary things happened. One, I passed through the greatest death of my ego and my self-sufficient life. And, um, repented from fear of man and false humility and moved through my greatest death in that I have yet experienced and moved into a greater life. And then secondly, um, out in a tree stand after working with some mentors for these two days, God unearthed in me the deepest lies that were set against my life as a man since before, um, since the fall Satan's plan to destroy Christ in me and the glory of God through me were these central lies of I am worthless was the message from feminine and I'm a failure was the message from masculine. And, and, I, and, and Jeremy, like six months ago, I couldn't have named those for you and I've done so much soul work, but it was just this fall that those last pieces came to the surface. And so the, so who am I? How did I get here the last 25 years? One piece at a time, God's been identifying and working with me through all sorts of beautiful um, means 
to integrate the boy into manhood. And now spiritually, I believe that all the parts of me are at least 18 years old or older in their maturity. Now, does that mean I have, I don't have places to grow? Absolutely. But it truly is an on-time graduation for the 18 and years old and younger parts of me. And I'm just simultaneously, it's happening in me as it's actually happening on my son and in him while he is uh, more on time on a sort of biological clock because he's been, he's been raised in a context where we model the kingdom and give him access. So that's a little bit of context of who I am and how I got here. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I just love the language you've learned to put to things, which only someone can do that's been on the journey for a long time. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what it is, right? Right, you can right. You tell if it's hunting Absolutely. or whatever it may be. There comes, you can know, you know when you're sitting with someone that's actually been walking. Yes. And that's, why, why as men, can't we figure out that you got to go through the fire to get to where you're at now? Yeah. Like, guys like you don't have this story, don't have this language, don't have this knowledge, don't speak to other men's hearts without having gone through great adversity. My wife and I often talk about protecting our sons from trauma. Yeah. We don't want them to have trauma. Yes. But man, do we want them to face some adversity while they're in our house. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Because I think parents, we just want to, we overprotect and then we kick our kids out at 18. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Right. And there's something about going through the trials. Like I look back at my life and the traumas I've, experienced and been through and the conversations I get to have now don't happen without that. Absolutely. Without that at all. Absolutely. So that's the beautiful thing of redemption. Right. Right. Of saying yes to this narrow path and understanding that you don't know where you're at in it. Yes. But how beautiful that you and your son would be graduating from the things that really matter. Yes. At the same time-ish. Yes. Like, what a gift. Yes. Well, one of the most brilliant realities, and this is kind of mysterious and sort of supernatural, but the reality is, <clears throat> in God's kingdom, we're always on time, never behind. That's just like blow your hair back, big idea, because I've not met a man, including me, that doesn't feel behind, right? Dude, you, that one phrase of yours yes. changed my life. Why so? What, what is it when you shake your head? Because I can tell you, you're like, oh. of course, of course, like, what are you feeling? It's very validating to the journey of feeling... For me, I can compartmentalize this, mm -hmm. right? Like I feel behind as a father. Yes. I feel like all the things I could have, should have, would have done already. Yes. Young boys and a 23-year-old daughter that I wasn't around for. Yes. So I feel super behind in that. Yes. Which which creates 
um, it creates self-doubt, anxiety, um, pain. It, 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 it speaks, I think, I think that it's, it's a trigger yes. to most men Yep. that it's, it's just when you hear, when I heard you say it for the first time, I think I read it in your book the first time mm-hmm. I heard it. And then I've heard you say it over and over and, and applied it to those areas of my life that I feel behind. Yes. It's so validating and like, yes, take a breath. Yes. You're right where you're supposed to be. And it's this beautiful picture to me of God can see a trillion years on both sides of this moment. Totally. And I look back at the times where I would have done something that I thought I should have done. Yeah. And the, the value of hindsight, what a train wreck. Mm. So why, as men, can't we let that apply to the areas where we feel behind it? Yes. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that's important is to tune in to what are your questions as a man, okay? Because you ask that question, where do you feel behind? And if a man's honest, any man that's listening to this, just pause. I mean, you can literally hit pause and just write it down. Where do I feel behind? Here's another way to get there. Yeah, and I, right. And I talk about this in Becoming King. What's not working, right? And then it, it gets deeper of like, where am I hiding really? Because like you said, the horse world, right? The hunting world, the IT world, our competency, our failure, our fitness, our lack of health, everyone has somewhere they're hiding. Our 401k. Our 401k or our lack of it, right? The, all the money we've saved or that which we don't have. Both can be a form of hiding. The question isn't what you're doing with your money. The question is, where are you hiding? And so I think in masculine initiation, your question leads me to ask, where, what are your questions? Are you tuned into the questions? Are you asking questions? Because the temptation for a young man who is not being initiated by a father. So every one of us was boy, we were boys. Explain masculine initiation. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, Jesus was immature. Jesus, um, and we're really uncomfortable with that. That's why you see this funky uh, art. I call it baby man Jesus. Okay. There's this whole period and I'm not a, a, a you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, um, uh, a scholar in this realm, but there was a, a time in paintings where you would see baby Jesus as a mini man. And I get it because we can't picture him shitting his pants. Right. I love this. Jesus shit his toga, his little baby toga. That's a fact. Okay. And there's this brilliant story that, that it just blows my mind that I've never t- heard it taught from this angle, right? Jesus is 12 and they're on a trip with his family and extended family. And for three days, Mary and Joseph think Joseph's just in the gang running around and then he's gone. And they realize, no, they haven't seen him for three days. Mom's freaking out. I don't care what culture you're in. Mama bear lost her baby bear. They go back to the last town they saw him in and they find him teaching in the temple, right? And every story I've ever heard tell that, every teacher I've ever heard reflect on that story, they tell the story of Jesus was 
amazing people with his wisdom. But what they don't ever talk about is WTF. He bailed on his parents without any consideration of, do you think mom will be worried? Is it okay? Is it okay to just flake out and not communicate to my parents where I'm going? Where's the respect? Where's the consideration? You're perfect. Don't you know your mom's heart? The point is he was without sin. Jesus was fully God without sin. And so what he did was not sin. It was immaturity. Mm -hmm. And here's what's so important, Jeremy, is immaturity is not sin. Jesus, the scriptures say, had to grow in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And when you listen to Paul's teachings, you see it through that lens again and again and again. There's a path and process of maturity. Paul comes to Christ absolute humiliation, the most powerful man in his world. And now he's blind. And for three days, he doesn't eat. And he's just basically like, has the shakes. He's comatose. What the hell do I do? I'm weak. I am in need. And then 14 years, we don't hear anything about his life. He's gone. What happened during those years? I have no idea. But the point is, there was a process where he had to become the kind of man, wholehearted, integrated, his life in God, beyond conversion. It's not fire insurance. It's depth and breadth of wholehearted masculinity, the kind of man that has nothing to hide, nothing to fear, nothing to prove, in order that he can step into a world that's foobar, a world that's impossible with impossible stakes, with impossible challenges, especially under his own roof, and say, I I don't know how to handle this. I I don't know. Uh, But I've become the kind of person that whatever I have and wherever I am, I will make it through in and through the one who makes me who I am. I'm unstoppable. And this is not fierce independence like we find in masculinity. This is strength through dependency. So to go the whole way back full circle, we are designed to mature. We don't come into this world with everything we need. And it's a fallen world with an enemy. And so the invitation of the gospel as men and as women with very unique expressions is to participate, to respond to God through a path and process of becoming whole, becoming mature, and coming home to where we're from. Now, all that's prologue to then simply say, how were you initiated? Because every one of us was initiated Every one of us was discipled, right? Uh, and sadly, most of us, our initiation was pure initiation or self-initiation. It wasn't father-centered initiation. And so at 13, when my body's going through all this change and I see women and something goes, whoa, right? Well, that's right. That's what's right with me. But then no one's there to talk about sexuality. No one's there to explain the whoa and what that's about and how a fire needs a fire pit or a 
fireplace to contain the power. And so it was peers that showed me pornography in the woods behind O'Hare Elementary that just blew my mind because it lit me up. And now you have pleasure and shame all tangled. And so begins peer-centered initiation. And it wasn't until the, the, the restoration of those parts of me that then I could come and pursue a, a woman out of a sort of integrity of soul, not as a consumer, but as a man offering. And so Sherry and I had our first kiss on the altar and we made love on the first night of our honeymoon. And I don't say that with some righteousness. I mean, I had tons of premarital sex with other people. It was, it was brokenness. It was debauchery. The point is you can have your integrity back. And when I stood on that altar Mm -hmm. and I kissed my bride, it was like, it was better than the original would have been because the story was initiation by a father that was recovering what felt like was behind, what was stolen, lost, and surrendered. And that process of repentance, the process of repair, I got my strength back as a man, still young. I'm still a young married dude, and I'm still going to drive it into a cliff, uh, again, drive it into a mountain plenty of times. But I wasn't the boy anymore. I was a young man that was ready for what God was inviting me into. Here's, that's beautiful. I, I love your definition of that. And here's, I'd like to point out the hope in it. Yes. If you're a guy that didn't have a dad like you are, yes. like most people don't, I know, I think three. I know yep. you, I know Jay, heck, I know Brian Bird. Yes. That I've seen actually model this type of initiation out with their sons in this way that I didn't even know was a thing. Yes. I love that you're the way that you said, oh, you're getting initiated, right? No matter what. You get, you betcha. But here's the hope and what I hear you're saying, Morgan, is it's never too late. Absolutely. Because you got initiated at the same time as your son. Exactly. Exactly. And God, like you said, he, he not only sees in the past and present, but he actually lives outside of time. And so he, he has the freedom. He's not constrained. He's preparing you for the restoration of all things. He's okay. Right now, God is not worried. He's actually rather happy. He know, and you know, Dallas Willer once said that God is perfectly capable of saving and restoring all that he created. Like, Jeremy, it's just good to rest in that, right? Because it, in God's wild uh, mystery and supernatural work, he's, he's bringing exactly what I need exactly when I need it. You know, a young man reached out to me last week. It's so fun where there's now this next generation of my peers, their kids are now growing up and they're in high school, college. And like, they're starting to turn to ask and Uncle Momo, right? I'm Uncle Momo. And so they'll reach out to Uncle Momo. They have my cell phone number. Like they have access because we believe in communal living and not everyone, but the, the, the sons and daughters of my brothers do. And and a brother was reaching out, a younger brother about college, and he's just under pressure. You know, he's feeling, I, 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 need, I need to decide. And I was able to say to him with 
confidence and joy. I made the absolute worst decision I could have made around college. I picked the wrong school for the wrong reasons with the wrong motives and God was not in my heart. And in that college experience, I met God and I met the woman that would become my wife for 23 years. The point is like, God's got it. He's in control and he's just waiting. And, and even more than that, he's running towards us. And so hope, the best definition I've ever received was from my uncle Winton. And he said, it's the anticipation and the expectation of good things, the anticipation and the expectation of good things. And so to your point, Jeremy, like if I'm truly a son I don't have to figure it all out. But my father is very interested in partnering with me in my maturing. But my maturing is actually not even the primary point. He's the point. He's at the center. And so to your original question, you know, we're born into a world where we really think we're the center of the story. And that's the epicenter of the fall is that we can make life work on our own. We can be God. And all sin and all brokenness boils down to that. We think we can and want to be God. And the redemption comes when we just come before a God that's bigger than us, greater than us, that has our well-being at the center of his soul. And so it's that place that we come with conf- practicing confidence, practicing trust, agreeing that the primary energy of our life is meant to be apprenticeship as kings in his kingdom. And from that place, I don't have to figure it out. It's not up to me. He's always the initiator. And now I get that excited posture of father, what are you doing? What are you doing for my son? What are you doing for Abigail, my daughter? And what are you doing for me? in my initiation today, like, let's go. Yeah, it, it's, that's beautiful. I, it just paints this picture for anybody out there that didn't have the dad that initiated him. Like, like I said, again, I don't know too many other than your three guys' sons that have got to experience this and hopefully mine someday and are. Um, there are these broken little boys yes. inside of us. That, that's the, that's the invitation is, that little boy who didn't get initiation. Yep. To just try to put some more clarity. Yeah, that's good. This that's good. Is that guy whose dad showed up to his football games. Yes. But never played catch with him. Totally. So he could check the box. What do you mean? I show up at all your football games. I click, but never played catch with you. There's there's healing available for that little boy. Absolutely. Initiated into the kingdom and to bring wholeness and healing to your heart. Yes. That... Until you understand that this is possible, you feel like, especially with the Christianese counseling stuff yes. that we're all familiar with, right? That I guess that's just something I have to take to the cross every day. Right. Or I'm going to take that to my grave. No. Yes. You don't have to, right? So let me ask you a question back. Holding that idea is true. Can you give an example in your story where you were unaware but then became aware that there was a young, uninitiated part in you 
uh, to use that language. And what was the process to invite God to heal and initiate that boy? And now you find that part of you more integrated, more mature, and more united with God. Can you give a just like super nuts and bolts practical yeah. example? So kindergarten, mom, dad divorced, me and dad moved to Montana. I'm six. Six. And, and you're moving home. away from mom God. and towards dad. Yep. Come home to my dad worked. He was a logger and he didn't get home till seven or eight o'clock at night. So I can imagine my kindergarten son, who's well, he's in first grade now, in those shoes and coming home and just being terrified, you know, gets dark in Montana super early. Yes. And walking home from school as a six-year-old boy to an empty cold house, having to start a fire, the whole thing, right? And then having somebody explain this to me, like, oh, first off, just, just validating how scary and horrible that would be. But nobody, we don't ask each other these types of questions. Right. right? So being in a culture where being around someone, it was Justin, who's like, tell me about that little boy. And then me having, telling the story and then inviting God, Jesus, and like, where were you in this? And then immediately there was time, there was, it was brought to my, my memory. There was a neighbor that was like half a mile away who often would come check on me. Huh. Huh. And I'd forgotten about that. Mm. And I was like, oh, I wasn't as alone as I thought. Yeah. Like there's this overarching story of like aloneness, which there was a lot. Of yeah. But I also remembered immediately I had a dog that I'd forgotten about in mm. my story that I felt like was just super initiating to that little boy. Yes. I had a neighbor who cared about me yep. and knew my situation, that I was a little boy coming home alone. Yeah. And she would come visit and I had my dog. Mm. And in that moment, I felt safer and more secure and yeah. loved than I initially Thought I yes. So that was one example. So, okay. So let me ask you this. So how old are you now? I just turned 50. Okay. So you're 50. So somewhere in your late forties before Jesus brought healing to the kindergarten version of Jeremy, right? In other words, the, this piece within you, this part within you, he's still there. Oh, yeah. Right? But there's most of the upper four. Let's call 48-year-old Jeremy, just for conversation, right? That's about right. Okay, so what... Now, looking back, how do you notice... What do you notice the relationship to be... And you don't have to be conscious of this, but it's affecting things. The relationship between 48-year-old Jeremy, who's married, kids, right, professional, work in his world... And kindergarten Jeremy that's still inside, that's alone, that's scared. And yes, he has a dog. Yes, he has a neighbor. But like every day to come home and fend for himself. What was that relationship like between those parts? It, it's like anything. It takes time, right? Because the narrative has always been that um, nobody's ever going to show up for me. Yes. And... Um, fear of rejection, mm-hmm. admit, right? So those little narratives build up over time. Yes. And then pretty soon you have this prover that's going around to prove that narrative right. Totally. Right? Oh, yeah, it's self-evident, right? In third grade when that girlfriend holds Tommy's hand instead of yours. Yes. Said, it's like it, it adds to that narrative, and that snowball 
gets bigger. Totally. That's so good. You can go back and get healing and restoration in that, that part of that narrative that starts to change how you feel about that little boy. Totally. And also a big part of it for me is just having compassion for him. And maybe it just took me crying over him. Yeah. And being like, that was hard. That did suck. And I'm sorry that that kindergarten boy had to go through that. Totally. And what I would suggest even to our friends listening, that stage of compassion is essential, but that's like not level one. No. And and what typically um, surfaces is the older you is really frustrated with the younger you because younger you's in the way. He sabotages the life, your life, right? So for example, that pattern of rejection, right? I'm, I'm alone, I'm abandoned, no one's coming through for me and I'm gonna be rejected. That's not coming out from 48-year-old Jeremy, but at kindergarten Jeremy, that's what he believes. And he is very inconvenient at best. And so you learn to push him aside. You learn to tell him to shut up. Right. And that's where a lot of medicating comes from, whatever that is. Right. You, you might drink to feel better to try to compensate for the la- the rejection. That's right. Right. And so you just feel better that you don't feel as rejected when you're hiding under the bottle or you're sleeping around with women. Gee, I'm not saying you are. I'm saying oh, a, a lot of. OK, but a lot of men will. And on the outside world, it looks like, how could you do this? Like and that's not the point. Like. Below it's, oh, son, what are you looking for, right? And it's the reach for someone to choose me, someone to show me affection, someone to make me a warm meal, someone to comfort me. And it happens to express itself in an affair, but it's not about an affair, right? For some men, it's adventure, but regardless of what it is to listen to, what are you reaching for? How are you medicating? And so even our listeners, like the first step is becoming aware of these things. And so just watch for the check engine lights, right? I've got a check engine light on the truck right now and I've got to get the auto zone and get it red of like what's what what code is being thrown. Right. Because it could be a hundred different codes or more, right? But if you don't tend to little problems, they become big problems. That's masculinity. Um, I mean that's a, a, a central value. So to listen for the warning signs. And then the, a big step, you guys, is starting to tune into the boy rather than reject him, resent him, or explain him away. He has a voice. And so just begin with, son, what do you want to say? Or how? what are you feeling? Or what is it that you need? Those are three very simple questions to begin to become aware that he's there and he's affecting the adult version of you probably more than you know. Oh, because so much of it's subconscious, and we do it. That analogy with the car, I had, I had it, my whole life could be summed up in this analogy. Okay. I had a truck, the check engine light come on. You know what I did? I went and got some black electrician's tape, and I put it over the check engine light. I'm not kidding. <laughs> that's it. That's literally how most men handle their soul. Yes, that's because, oh, the stakes are too high. It's too scary. And I say this from someone who gets it. Yes. Ran, who spent their life on the run. Yes. And those, that pain, it will, that uninitiated boy, I yeah. promise you, if it isn't, depending on what age you are, if it hasn't show up, it will. Yes. And throwing a marriage at it makes it worse. Mm. Throwing a kid or two on top of it makes it worse. Moving 
to a new job with a better promotion makes it worse. None of these things will initiate that little boy into you becoming the whole man that God created you to be. Yes. So wherever you wherever you're at in life, what Morgan and I are talking about right now, I believe are the keys to fulfillment and wholeness. Yes. You can't bypass this step to achieve it. I've never seen anyone that's been able to do it. Totally. Right. So my question to you would be, what what will you do with your pain? What will you do with the check engine line? Because the beautiful thing is right in the midst of your places of wounding, um, the Father is coming relentlessly to offer you a path that he's leading, that he's fueling back to restoration. And I love this quote from St. Francis that a mentor gave me, boy, four years ago that I I think of all the time where St. Francis said, start by doing what's necessary. And in time, you will find yourself doing what's possible. And in time and over time, through God, you will find yourself doing what's impossible. And so, friends, I, what I want to invite you to do is start small, two-degree shifts, and even the simple question of what's not working, where do I feel behind, and how do those questions lead me to a part of me, perhaps, it's exploration, this part of me that still feels like a boy in a man's world. What does he want to say? What does he need? And what would it take to make one small shift towards listening for what he has to say? So good. Yeah, because otherwise, if you don't do this, two fingers of scotch turns into eight. Mm. Like we say, like I just said on the podcast the other day, like the, the side boob on Netflix yep. turns into full-blown porn. Right? Totally. Like, if you're finding yourself there in between there on the verge of that, like, I don't know, there's no antidote right. to this right? other than this journey. Totally. And the, and the converse of that is also true. When you find those moments, so back to Sherry and I, um, I fell in love with her accidentally. I was moving from Pittsburgh. Um, and, yeah. Oh, deep, deep, deep Steeler fan. I don't want to lose listeners, but you bet. Um, and so, you know, born in Pittsburgh and I was moving West and that's where I was just being led for my initiation. The, the West was in me and I didn't know it until I was 21. It's a way to say it. And so I went out, explored and went, I'm putting roots down. God's leading me. And so I was moving and Sherry, a friend from college, she was still two years younger, still at university, um, went to school down at Vanderbilt in Tennessee, and she was in Illinois in her hometown, in her home house, and I, I needed a free place to stay, frankly. So I was like, hey, do you mind if I crash at your house? West. West. And literally, my Ford Explorer is filled with everything I own, yeah, and I'm moving west. Nice. It's just a perfect picture of, that's my whole kingdom, this old, you know, uh, rattly truck and a couple of boxes. And I show up at her house, and God brings a snowstorm. And I'm stuck there for six days. And it was during those six days I fell in love with this woman. And God had been working in my heart for two years up to this point where I was starting to turn parts of me one piece at a time back to God. It was New Year's Eve. 
It was midnight. The ball was dropping. We had a good part of a bottle of champagne and we were well into a good part of a bottle of wine. And I was looking at her going, I know how this works. I've done this a lot of times. I'm really good at this. This meaning every way that I would take my question to a woman rather than my strength. And Jeremy, we were on a couch and it's 11.59. And I remember looking at her, it was like the first time I ever really got my strength back with a woman. And I looked at her and I said, Sherry, there's nothing I would actually like to do now more than take your clothes off. But I'm not going to because I know where this leads. I'm going to wake up in the morning and we're going to be walking on eggshells and it's just not going to be good. And so I would like to go to bed without you. I'm going to the basement by myself. And I laid in that bed with like a desire that was so much deeper than sexual. It was like, I, I want that. But what I actually want more is whatever's coming through that, that intimacy, that connection, but, but, but in strength, in holiness. And I eventually got fell asleep. And the next morning the the sun's out and I go bounding up to her room and I feel strong and I feel alive and I feel true. And it was like this act of like, no, God is real and his supernatural strength will come. And if we give him an inch, he will give us a mile of life. And I looked her in the eyes and I said, how do you feel right now? And we just talked about how we were well and we were strengthened. And that was the beginning of going like, there's got to be a way to pursue a woman with integrity and honor all this desire in me, not shut it down. And it was, uh, it was a year later, December 16th, that we were married. And, and the whole idea is there is a path. It's available to every man. And at every moment, God is making available a fresh, narrow gate that leads back to the narrow path that is life for your heart as a man. And so Holy Spirit, where's that gate? Show me the gate and lead me through it. You're not the only one and you're not alone. To shame is a liar. Mm. I love this part of your story that with intimacy and how it was restored. Yes. Because that's my story too. Uh. And for every man out there that thinks they've blown it, it's not too late. Yes. For intimacy to be returned to you if you're not married and you've had a bunch of sex outside of this beautiful covenant that is fulfilling and all the things that God created it to be. But if you're the guy that's stuck in porn and feels like there's no way that you'll ever be able to connect with your wife in that intimacy again, what you're saying, Morgan, is it's not too late. Absolutely. You're not behind in, in this area, too. Right? Right on time. Right on time. Your father's coming and this podcast episode is part of it. And so what will you do with this? It's a fresh gate. It's a fresh opportunity. And what brother will you risk with? Because that's the heart of wild courage. And that's what I love about what you guys are anointed to do, Jeremy, is like you guys are living this out relationally, face to face, over a fire, every month. Guys are welcome back. Come as you are. We're all men. We're all brothers. Leave our titles at the door and just a chance to be seen, 
to share, to listen, and to live this sort of story out, not in isolation. You guys are modeling it. And for all you friends out there, if you can get to a campfire in, uh, in Idaho with Wild Courage or wherever they're popping up, you know where to find them. Um, brothers, That this is life and this is how it gets done, one small decision at a time. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. Well, I think we're winding down on time, but Morgan, the power of your words and the life that you have went and fought for, that you give away so freely to our mission, before I even knew you, just through Brian, I just, we, we've never felt alone in this because mm. of you. Mm. And because of your encouragement and the boxes of books that you send our way and and the support and all the content that you poured your life into that you give away so freely, thank you. Mm. Thank you for going ahead of us and not making us feel behind mm. in this mission, but more of locking arms and here's what I've learned, here's what we're doing. Mm. So thank you for your um, your humility like to, to give give space and time for those of us who are newer on the journey. You're just so welcoming. And I find the things that come out of your mouth so authentic because mm. you've fought over them. Mm. You've earned them, which is so refreshing in a day and age where everyone is looking for a stage mm. because of something they've read or mm. that's, that's the opposite of authentic. And you are a picture of authenticity mm. that it's, I, I, I loved getting to be in, in your life at whatever capacity this is. So thank you outside of, um, becoming good soil. Is it becoming good? Yeah. Be, yeah become good soil.com. Yeah, that's where you guys please go check out Morgan and all that he has to offer. Um, he's got so much content. We have zero content. <laughs> Um, so we're sending everyone your guys' way, your way, Morgan, because why in the world would we try to reinvent the wheel in something that you have a grace on yeah. and you're anointing? And so thank you for being part of our brotherhood and, and reaching down and back to us. Mm. Thank you so much for your time today and for all the things to come. Thank you. Yeah, Jeremy, thank you so much. It's a partnership, and the beauty of it is we're not the first right? And we won't be the last until Christ comes and restores all things. We, we come from a long lineage of masculinity that's been assaulted and that's being recovered. And we get to be part of the recovery. And I love it was said of Winston Churchill in the realm of fathering. It was said he became what he never had. And the, and the brilliance of this is we get to offer what we never had, because we're offering out of who we are becoming. And that's what's available for every man. Beautiful. One more thing. Favorite plane ride story. Go. Favorite plane ride story. Sherry and I were, um, I came to Christ in college, wild conversion. And I had the privilege of introducing my wife to Christ. I was a summer orientation leader. And when she walked in the door, I oriented myself to that woman. <laughs> and um, 
we, I was deeply enjoying this woman. We weren't dating, but we were close friends. And, and it was a wild story, but invited her to this crazy party we were going to. We were actually flying on Southwest Airlines to New Orleans, of all places. And, and we'd never flown Southwest. And we didn't kind of get the drill with like seat assignments and no seat assignments, right? And you queue up and all this. And we were in the gate so enthralled in conversation because we were both being pursued by God. That what was happening between us um, was less than what we were giving ourselves to. And we were so enthralled. We look up at one point and the whole gate's empty. We missed the flight. The one you didn't have. It left without us. And it was this moment of like, and I wasted money because I'm like, oh crap, I've got to rebook. Right. I mean, it was like shoestring. I can't believe it's absurd. We're even doing it. And we, we had to fly out the next day, but the whole beauty of it is like, we are swept in a larger story. And so my favorite flight was one I never had. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Thank you for that. Thanks for check, uh, checking in guys. Until next time, adios. And friends, as always, I would like to conclude this episode of the Become Good Soil podcast with a transition and with a pause, with an opportunity to slow down, to settle in, to receive the life of God here and now. Let's take 90 seconds, recover your breath, open yourself to the heart of God, and we'll see you again on the next episode of the Become Good Soil podcast.